and welcome to The Point of Everything. It's our annual Choice Prize Irish Album of the Year preview. Delighted to be joined, as always, by John Barker of Tilt on Dublin City FM. Nailed it, John. Nailed it. How, how are you doing? Hello, Ono Sullivan. I'm doing great. Here we are again, once again. I feel like the year uh, doesn't get started until we're talking about the Choice Prize. This is like my second Christmas, you know, <laughs> coming here and chatting to you about the 10 albums that have been nominated each particular year. Uh, there's always slight disagreements between the two of us, but you know what? At the end of it, we're still good friends. <laughs> just, about, the, just about, just about. We have to take a couple of weeks in between the Choice Prize ceremony um, and the podcast just to kind of uh, calm down and Go just remember, oh yeah, we're, we're friends first, friends first. So we're going to be talking about the 10 albums which are up for Irish Album of the Year. It's a bit different this year because there are other categories as well. There's Irish Artist of the Year, Irish Breakthrough Artist, Irish Classic Album and Irish Song of the Year. I don't think we're really going to spend too much time on them. We're going to focus on the Irish album of the year. But um, what did you think of these categories, John? Like, did you? I was kind of surprised to see that they were announcing more of them. Um, some of them have judges. I think the Irish Artist of the Year has a couple of judges looking over them. The Irish Classic album has judges apparently going to come in with one album under their arm that's over 25 years old and they're going to duke it out. And we don't know at this moment in time what they're going to talk about or like any other restrictions um i I, th- I thought this was an interesting category but what do you think of that of these overall before we get into the the main meat of our podcast today i don't know about them i i don't really see the relevance of having three new categories which are for as you said irish artist of the year breakthrough artist of the year and classic album i mean now the total number of categories we're going to have is five and i think overall it just devalues the whole thing it devalues the the Choice Music Prize. If you remember, the category of Song of the Year was introduced in 2016. Gavin James, of course, won it for his song, Bitter Pill. Uh, and the winner of the award is chosen by public vote. And look, Owen, you've attended the awards a good few times. I've been to a, a lot of them as well. And for those maybe listening to this podcast who've never been to the Choice Music Prize, when the winner of the Song of the Year category is announced on the night you know, there isn't like a hush around the venue. People just carry on drinking and chatting and going to the toilet and they're out having a smoke or whatever that, that they're doing. And I've never heard of anyone kind of talk about the award afterwards. There's never a buzz about the award. There's never any coverage about it, like leading up to the event. I don't think people really care too much about it. Uh, and I mean, think about it, right? You and I have been doing this podcast for maybe six, seven years now at this stage, and we've never talked about the Song of the Year category. And I I, I think we're going to have the same level of indifference when it comes to these three new categories, especially the classic album one. I I don't think that should ever have been given the green light. I don't think anybody really... I I doubt if even the people that win that particular category are going to care too much about it. And and the thing is, and I think this is the, the, the bigger point, categories like these, like these new categories that they've introduced they work in a bigger music industry like in the the uk or, or the us but in ireland like we don't have different layers when it comes to irish acts there's only like a small pool of successful acts to choose from and in any given year i mean we don't have a large number of really well-known established acts doing well each year followed maybe underneath by acts who are in the middle group with a nice fan base playing European tours and playing the likes of the Olympia, followed by younger acts who've started to break into the UK market. And maybe underneath them, there's another layer of, of acts, acts who have just emerged on, on the scene. And and the problem with that, own is that with such a small pool to choose from, you're sourcing the same acts for these categories every single year. So if you look at the, if, if, you, if you take away the classic album category, and just focus on the other four categories. CMAT is nominated this year in four. Fontaine's this year in three of the four. Dermot Kennedy's in three. Cello's in three. And most years you're going to have the exact same situation. Okay? Because we have a small pool of successful Irish artists to choose from every single year. And we all know this. So what's the point in having three new categories? Maybe we're building back to having the uh, meteors. Bring back the meteors. I, I, you know the the Irish Artist of the Year category. So there's there's five judges, 
and uh, who chose the the five nominees for that. And I guarantee you, I guarantee you that they had this problem when coming up with the shortlist for the five artists because Dermot Kennedy, Cello, Seamat and Fontaine's DC are nominated. Uh, and you'd expect those four to be in that category. But I bet you that they hadn't got a clue who to nominate as the fifth act. I'm sure there was lots of discussion between the judges. There was lots of debate because Talos, and I'm a big fan of Own French, I love him, but Talos is not the, the obvious choice at all. He released a new album, Dear Chaos, in October. It went a little bit under the radar, did reasonably well. But compare his 2022 to the other four nominated acts. And I would say the judges had a really tough time trying to figure out who to put in there. And, and the, it's, it's not their fault, and it's not Talos's fault. It, the fault is that there shouldn't be this category because you don't have a huge pool of successful artists to choose from. Just sticking with the idea of um, bef- before we get on to the the Irish albums of the year, what about the albums that haven't made that main shortlist? I think overall looking at it, it's a really good shortlist um, and overall a really good year for Irish music. A lot of really strong albums. Well, I list off the 15 albums I think could easily have, have been on the shortlist in one form or another. Go for it. Cello for cello tape isn't that mad he's nominated in all the other categories yeah. apart from this one really odd junior brother for the great irish famine which i think is a masterpiece Gilliband great Gilliband released their uh best album of their career to date most normal and then we have paddy hannah imagine i'm hoping which i know a lot of people love telefiche for a hey and a doe now uh, that's two albums that they released last year from the late Kyle Coughlin's um, last band. Talos with Dear Chaos could have been on the list. Soak, former Choice Prize winner, released an album called If I Never Know You Again. Melts for Maelstrom, Katie Kim, Hour of the Ox, E Vagabonds, Nine Waves, Dahi released an album called I'm Here Now. Silverbacks, Archive Material, Robocobra Quartet, a winner of Northern Irish Album of the Year for Living Isn't Easy. Elaine Howley released a brilliant debut album called The Distance Between the Heart and Mouth. And Cormac Begley released an album called B, which is also a real stunner. So I could have easily seen all 15 of these albums uh, on the shortlist. I think that's a really strong alternative shortlist. Is, is there any that I'm missing? Have I, have I nailed all of them? <laughs> no, you've definitely, covered, <laughs> you've definitely covered them all there as far as I can tell. But it, it, I mean, it just does go to suggest that it is a really uh, strong shortlist if those are the albums that haven't been included. Um, it, it's an interesting shortlist. I, I think for me, there's probably a couple of surprises surprises in the sense that I, I didn't actually think that the judges would go for these particular albums um you've you've only got three debut albums by the way uh, on the shortlist like normally you'd have a lot more than that so that's that's i think that's a really good sign uh, the majority of artists that have been nominated have just released their their second album fontaine's dc are the the old timers of the shortlist they've they've they're the only act that have released three albums everybody else has released less than three albums so they're they're getting on a bit now lads you need to you know start thinking about getting a day job or you know <laughs> giving up the music and doing something real with your life what are the debut albums on the shortlist see matt if my wife knew i'd be dead yeah uh, thumper delusions of grandeur it just feels like it's not their debut album doesn't it because they, they've been around they've for been so around long for so they've long. been around for the like Mary almost a decade and the Mary wallopers yeah. of course of course um okay well i read out the judges before we go through each album um so these 10 judges nominated the albums that we're going to be discussing and then they're going to get in a room on the night of the choice prize on march 6th 9th march 9th and they're going to duke it out and decide on a winner so mags blackburn is from red fm cork christine costello the thin air neil doherty rt radio one adam hogan rt 2 fm eddie hughes kclr Lauren Johnson from BBC Northern Ireland, Sophia McDonald from Totally Dublin and Dublin Digital Radio, Shannon McNamee from the Journal of Music, Des O'Driscoll, arts editor in the Irish Examiner. Go on, Des. <laughs> and Nadine O'Regan from the Business Post and Aoife Woodlock from Other Voices and it's chaired by Jim Carroll. As always, I think this is like his third year back judging after he kind of was one of the co-founders of the award. So, um, do I need to read out the... I feel like I'm doing a lot of reading out. Do I need to read out um, the shortlist or will we just go to them in order? Maybe just do them alphabetically, which would mean... Who's first? Anamika for theatre. Uh, you have Ifanessa Francis with Protector. CMAT, If My Wife Knew I'd Be Dead. Dermot Kennedy for Sonder. Fontaine's DC, Skinty Fia, Just Mustard, Heart Under. 
Pillow Queens Leave the Light On, Circa Richardson Smiling Like an Idiot, The Merry Wallopers for their debut album The Merry Wallopers, and Thumper Delusions of Grandeur. So let's start out with Anamika and her second album, Theatre. I always say that Idle Mind is the best album that wasn't nominated for the Choice Prize. I might have to revise this this year, this year because <laughs> I think Junior Brothers, The Great Irish Famine is an absolute masterpiece. I think it's a sensational album. People can listen back to the interview that I did with Junior Brother where we talked through it and you can maybe even hear my realisation halfway through that, oh yeah, this is actually a masterpiece that Junior Brother has made. But Anamika has followed up the similarly great Idle Mind with Theatre which is a really nice, dreamy kind of album. Um, it kind of takes you on a journey. Yeah. Like the very first line on the album, she sings vague memories in the narrow streets of La- uh, Lausanne. It's a city in Switzerland. And then on the second track, the chorus is about London sun burning our skin. So this really does feel like a journey that she's taking you on a kind of a dreamy scape as well that she's creating musically to what do you think about uh this album john i'm delighted delighted that anamique got nominated for this album theater so well done to the judges this is one of the albums i was just referring to that i was surprised to see it on the shortlist not because it doesn't deserve to be there but because i didn't think that enough judges would go for it i like you i really liked her debut album idle minds but when she started releasing on the singles from this new album, I think around about last summer, I just thought, oh my goodness, her vocals sound amazing. Like they're like warm honey, like dripping into your ears. <laughs> yeah, That's what it feels voice. like. Yeah, it's amazing. It's amazing. And those melodies that are throughout the album are so kind of seductive and appealing. And there's almost like a spiritual feel to them. I mean, you've just mentioned there that uh, there's like a dream like feel to the, to the whole album and some of the vocals and guitar rhythms are just hypnotic and um, particularly on songs like Coraline and Seraphim which you just li- Seraphim Seraphim you just listen to them and you kind of get lost in, in the music and I interviewed uh did you interview Anna for this no I didn't know okay I, I interviewed her in November about the album and I think she was sitting in her car at the time in, in Wicklow, freezing her ass off doing the interview. So thanks, Anna, for, for hanging in there and finishing the whole whole interview. But she wrote the songs very quickly, she told me, for the album. That kind of helped create a consistent sound. And she recorded them with Ryan Hargadon and Matthew Jacobson. And they were all recorded live. And there was kind of this element of improvisation involved. And when you listen to the album, you get the sense of these trio of musicians who were just gelling together. She also told me that she used uh, a 1936 electric guitar on the album, which added a really nice kind of deep, warm tone to the sound on the album. And the other thing I remember her saying is that she got quite addicted because it was, you know, um, lockdown and because she had more time on her hands, she she realized that she was she became quite addicted to the songwriting on the album. Like she looked, she yearned to do it every single day. It was it was constantly in her thoughts, and I, I thought that was a, a a nice kind of interesting aspect of probably COVID and lockdown because so many musicians that I've uh, I've chatted to, and I'm sure you have as well, all spoke about the fact that they had this extra opportunity to work on their songs. And and in many albums, great albums have come out over the last couple of years because musicians have, have had more time to work on their art instead of doing these, you know, part-time jobs to, to pay for the rent. Imagine if they had more time. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, th- I don't think this is going to be the last time that we mention lockdown being one of the inspirations behind uh, an album as well but yeah lyrically Anamika told Sophia McDonald one of the judges on the shortlist Sophia interviewed her for a feature in Totally Dublin Sophia says that poetry played a big part in filling the creative well and Anamika says Mannequin is inspired by a Jane Kenyon poem and just talking about the lyrics she told the website Creatister that I don't feel my songs are necessarily about anything if someone is like, what's your song about? I just say it's a collection of images and maybe this particular time, but also this time all mashed together. And then there's also made up stuff. So I might be able to describe the overall feeling of the song, but I don't ever say that it's about something. So that's Anamika. Yeah, I, I think with, with majority of songs on this album, it's more about moods mm. uh, than a, a, an actual you know, general theme. 
I think that you could also say that about Evanessa Francis and Protector, couldn't you? Yeah, um, definitely. This, I, I felt like I kind of had to do a bit of work with this album because it, it almost like um, washes over you on the first couple of listens. And you, it's, it's, it's not that it's a short album or anything. I think it's over 40 minutes, 45 minutes or something like that. But um, I, I just feel sometimes the songs kind of bleed into one another. There's no defining marks between the songs sometimes. And you're like, oh, I didn't realize that, you know, we were already halfway through the album. That's not to disparage the album or anything. I think lyrically it is actually brilliant. Musically, I might probably like a bit of a change in, in tempo. I think that you could say that about Anamika's album as well. Um, so it's it's kind of funny that these are the first two albums that are on the uh, choice prize shortlist that we're talking about because I do kind of see them almost as uh, quite similar albums. Where, where are you on Evanessa Francis? Yeah, huge fan of of Evanessa Francis. She doesn't sound like she's a musician from Dublin. You know, she doesn't. She doesn't sound like she's a, a musician living in the year of two thousand and twenty three. It's almost like there's a kind of vintage feel to her sound like she's living in the west coast of america in the middle of the the 20th century or something like that but um i I really love this album i've got no criticisms of it at all i think it's near perfect from start to finish um i actually wish that we could have had it on in the background as we were just (laughs) because it is that type of album as well i I thought her debut album land of no junction was a huge omission from the choice music prize two years ago so i'm delighted that she's on this particular shortlist and you know it's almost like she's been around for for years such as her kind of unique sound and and her level of songwriting. I mean, she's I think she only just released her her first single back in I think 2019. But in terms of this album, I think the the inspiration behind it, and I don't know if you're going to talk about this, was her leaving Dublin to go live in her her dad's house in in County Clare, and she was searching for peace and searching for sol- solitude. And while she was there, she kind of went through this period of self-discovery. And I think there's a real kind of sense of calmness and peacefulness that comes across on, on the on the album. I think it was recorded in a in a cabin in rural County Kerry. By Brendan Jenkinson, who also made uh, John Francis Flynn's debut album, which oh, also a big uh, omission from the Choice Prize list a couple of years ago. I know people love that album and I know that Aoife and John are good friends uh, as well. Yeah. And the the instrumentation at times is is so it's nearly kind of delicate. You know, the vocals are so warm, uh, yet they speak with authority. And I think the album is it's like it's a search, as I said, for peace and solitude and, and finding the best version of yourself. And I think that that is the story of the album and I'm a big fan of it. It's also kind of a breakup album as well. Just reading the lyrics yesterday, I think that um it you you can definitely read it that way. It does take you on a journey and it was reviewed in pitchfork 7.5 for people who uh who care about these things like me and the reviewer i don't have his name in front of me here though he says that it may not always be plain sailing but by sourcing the time and space for serenity protector makes a pitch for authenticity that leaves room for ambiguity Mm, nice nice it's also worth pointing out as well i guess that ethanessa francis is signed to partisan records who've got three nominees on the on the shortlist they've been Fontaine's DC and uh, Just Mustard as well. Yes. So yes. they're doing. <laughs> are they doing more for Irish music than anybody? Well, <laughs> possibly. Partisan <laughs> Records are. When you look at their their roster of of musicians, there's some wonderful musicians on there, such as Idols, Fela Kuti, and John Grant. So it's a pretty good label to be to be signed to. Okay, so CMAT. If my wife knew I'd be dead. I said from the very start when this was released back in February, March, this is the favorite for the choice prize. I'll be shocked if it doesn't win. I don't think my stance has changed that much other than I think it's kind of a two horse race. Spoiler alert for the choice prize (laughs) this year. Um, But this album is brilliant. I love it. Um, I'll talk about it in a sec. But uh, what what do you think? Can I ask you a question then? So you're saying that in February, you I think you you posted something about this has to win next year's choice music prize but ha- has your opinion not changed of it as the year has gone on seeing as that seen as you've seen her live quite quite a quite a bit 
over the year and you've seen her fan base grow has that made you kind of fall in love with the album a bit more uh well i kind of played the album to death when it was uh released because <laughs> i was um i don't think i talked to her but I, I kind of wrote about it on the point of everything website so i was kind of listening to it non-stop so i had to take a break for a couple of months and so it was nice to see her and see the songs in a different context and also just see the connection that they've made with the audience as well because i do think that these are songs that really do connect with people i felt that from the very start there's loads of different themes that you could get into on various songs but by the way um you introduced me to cmat oh did if I? you remember yeah so you interviewed her at quarter block party in cork oh i did yeah. february 2020 I was there with a uh, team totally Irish. The, the four of us went along. R.I.P. R.I.P. Totally The team Irish. is still alive. But <laughs> yes, the, the, the four of us are still alive. But um, yeah, no, you did a really great great interview with her. And uh, that that was my introduction to her. So thank you for that. Hard to do an interview with an artist who hasn't released anything when you're talking to them. CMAT released I Want to Be a Cowboy Baby um, a couple of months later. It was yeah. one of, I think it came out like a month into lockdown or something like that. So that was the soundtrack to lockdown for a lot of people and i think that cmat helped a lot of people get through lockdown as well with the brilliant videos that she did and it's just been great to see her go from at quarter block party back uh three years ago before she had released anything it was just kind of her and an acoustic guitar and now she's this fully fledged um like pop behemoth playing two sold out nights at the olympia i think wasn't it before christmas was it two yeah i think it was so. definitely one anyway i, can't, I didn't no, it get was, to go it was to two. It yeah was two. i didn't get to go to either of them so uh but you was, saw her enough last year i did yeah on, yeah can't be uh, given out uh, about not i know yeah yeah i still don't own a cowboy hat so i feel like that's <laughs> something that um that i need to rectify but what do you th- do you uh like this album do you have as strong feelings as it as i do about no, it pr- as i do pr- probably not but i you know what i don't think that really matters i i was, I was really surprised actually to to see this album left off a lot of end of year lists in December. Me too. I, I can only gather that maybe some critics just don't get what she's trying to do because even if you're not a huge fan of, of CMAT and she's got lots and lots of really loyal fans by this stage, like there's no denying, even if you know like very little about music on, there's no denying that CMAT knows how to write really catchy, memorable songs that almost feel iconic. I mean, take your pick from No More Virgos, Nashville, I Want to Be a Cowboy Baby. I don't really care for you. I mean, all of those songs nearly feel iconic at this stage. She's a brilliant songwriter. She's got a great voice with lots of range and her lyrics are full of wit and charm and she kind of mocks herself and her her vulnerability in a lot of her lyrics. So I don't know how you can't be impressed by that. And then you look at how she's built up her fan base online during COVID. You mentioned the fact that you interviewed her just before that. I mean, a few weeks before the first lockdown and she hadn't even released anything. She built up her fan base online. And then this year she announced herself as this amazing live performer. And you look at her videos, which you referenced as well. Everyone seems to talk about a um, a CMAP video when it's released. You look at the fact though, that she got the number one uh, in the in the Irish album charts as an independent artist. And, and like the whole package is just so, so impressive. And I say all of that as someone who likes her album i don't love it as much as you do uh, it's probably not in, not even in my top five favorite mm. albums on the shortlist but i still think it's a brilliant album and you know what on if i was a judge on the night i would probably fight cmat's corner when it came to deciding who should win the awards wow um yeah i, th- I think uh lyrically she's brilliant um there's real um i don't know there's depth to what she's singing about as well like even the opening song nashville i think a lot of people will be familiar that yeah it's funny the idea behind it of going to nashville and everything and finally living your dream but it's actually a song about depression and and that's what she's getting at so you can look really deep behind the lyrics as well if if you want but yeah i just think it's hit after hit i love the way the the album flows as well you've got more gentle numbers like geography teacher as well to break it up and then you've got i want to be a cowboy baby to uh, as the second last song love this love this album it's full of great lines i i wanted to list out the 10 best lines on the album but m- maybe i won't uh <laughs> Maybe I won't. Maybe maybe you can uh, get me another time and I'll do that. But other people love this album as well. Ella Kemp reviewed the album for Enemy and she said the goal for CMAT is to finally be taken seriously. Mm. Yes, she's one of the funniest people you'll likely ever meet, but also an unquestionably talented songwriter with a sincere heart. 
This record offers a maelstrom of mistakes and confusion and glee and love and loneliness and hope and the mess of it all makes for the biggest gift. So that's CMAT uh, with If My Wife Knew I'd Be Dead. My only criticism of the album, I just don't understand why it's new, N-E-W, instead of K-N-E-W in the title. But oh, you're such a journalist. I'll get over that. I actually, I actually, um, what, what's your new single? I know I'm putting you on the spot Mayday. here. Mayday. I I really love that song. Yeah. And, yeah. and if that's the direction that she's going in, I can't wait to see what album number two sounds like. Yeah, she's recording at the moment, so hopefully we won't be waiting too long for the second CMAT album. Will Will she grant you another interview? <laughs> hopefully, <laughs> hopefully she's uh, not too big. But yeah, like like she and we keep saying now, CMAT wants to be one of the biggest pop stars in the world. I think we're going to talk about one of the biggest pop stars in the world, undoubtedly. Dermot Kennedy now with Oh, Dermot's Sonder. next. Yeah, so Dermot Kennedy, everybody everybody knows Dermot Kennedy, don't they, at this stage? I don't know if people have listened to their music. Some people might write him off as, uh, you know, <laughs> like some of us might write off, say, the Coronas or Picture This or something. But I do think that Dermot Kennedy is a really great singer, really good singer-songwriter. Uh, and I quite like this album. The only problem is I don't really have strong feelings either way about it. It feels mm. like I, I really like his vocals um and the album is less than 40 minutes these are all things that i think are you know the positive uh next to his name for sonder but i wasn't surprised to see this on the shortlist even though i don't think it's going to win people might write that off as snobbishness among irish music critics but i don't think you're going to find many people who would think this album will win uh but i think we're both on the same page with it it's hard to dislike the album isn't it yeah i listened to it yesterday for the first time because I knew we were going to be chatting about it today and I, I one of the things that struck me immediately was that uh, the production was probably less intrusive than I thought it was going to be I really like his voice um, it's quite genuine and believable and I mean it's a it's a good collection of mostly ballad songs that are aimed towards teenagers and people in their early 20s who are making a mess of relationships the whole time <laughs> heartbroken whether it's friendship or romantic relationships but um yeah no it's it's uh it's can i go on do you want to jump in there well i was just going to, you bigged me up for interviewing cmap before she released her, her album uh you talked to dermot kennedy 13 years ago or something was it in 2010 i interviewed dermot kennedy on totally irish on 98 fm in 2010 which is 13 years ago and i think he he turned 30 just a few months ago so he was probably in and around 18 oh, but wow. I, I think it, it illustrates the type of of person he is because i remember he sent me on his his new single and he had a booklet along with it and there was these professional uh photos of him and i was thinking who's this guy like he's only 18 and you know he's he's given the appearance of somebody that's been in the business for a long time but he was super serious and he came in on a sunday evening in 2010 i think it was late 2010 with a couple of musicians and and not even that i was like geez i'm this guy's he's even got musicians with him because he was young you know he was only he was only starting off but you could tell straight away even from that uh from that age he was super super serious and professional and this is what he wanted to do and um he played a couple of live songs i think one of them was called this woodland won't listen but let me tell you something quite interesting <laughs> a few weeks ago I interviewed Melty Brains uh, back in January. They have just released their debut album, You. And afterwards, Dunica, I interviewed Dunica and Brian from Melty Brains. And afterwards, as they were leaving, Dunica said to me, uh, come here, by the way, do you remember you interviewed Dermot Kennedy in 2010? And I was like, yeah. He was like, I was one of those two musicians. Wow, so Dunica wow. and Michal, you know Michal yeah, from Melty Brains, plays, drums with plays still with uh, Dermot Kennedy. The two of them were those two musicians that came in with Dermot Kennedy in 2010. And Dunica was like, I just never said it to you, but I thought this was a good time to say it. <laughs> so think about it. Dermot Kennedy, at the age of 18, he's got a couple of lads from Melty Brains playing with him. I mean, that's pretty cool for an 18-year-old to be able to do. But he's such a hard worker and he spent the next few years you know, really working his, his arse off. He's, he's a super talent and I'm delighted for him with the success that, that he's got. You think about it though, I'm like he started out busking in Dublin city centre. He got really popular through his YouTube channel. He um he did this cover of the Ed Sheeran song, Thinking Out Loud. Okay. And 
that, that you could have said any song to me well, i'd be like okay <laughs> that's a Niger- okay if that's a nigerian song but that like that went i guess that went viral uh back back then in the early two i think it was like early 2012 2013 and, and like think about how dermot kennedy and orla garland um got started you know they they got popular online before anything else think of cmat even uh but like dermot kennedy in 2015 he was playing the likes of the the workman's club and now he's a you know he's a global name so delighted for him well done dermot yeah, that's something that uh, comes up in his interviews as well. That I think you mentioned it earlier. He started off by writing ballads or some of the songs on this album are kind of ballads. And he acknowledges that as well. Like he is a singer-songwriter first. He says, I need to tick multiple boxes. I know there's an acoustic singer-songwriter in me, so we have to honor that. But then I also know we're getting to a point where we're playing really big venues and stadiums. So I want to have songs that thrive in that environment as well. I love making songs with big, lush arrangements. And that's kind of what I, you know, it's kind of impossible to ignore on the uh, 11 tracks on this album. Obviously, Better Days is the big one, over 129 million uh, streams on Spotify at the time of recording. And I can just imagine people are listening to this album and absolutely uh, sing at the top of their lungs in their car or in their bedroom along with this album. And he's made a great connection. And who are we to say anything bad about that? I think... uh, I think it's his second album, isn't it? He was, yeah, it's yeah. album number two. Yeah, so that, um, Lauren Murphy reviewed the album for the Irish Times and she said, there's not really much development here. So I suppose that's the other side of things as well. But I think everybody is happy to see him playing like to millions of people uh, this year. So uh, fair play to Dermot Kennedy for that. Fair play. And you can just tell, by the way, the Irish music critics and Irish musicians, musicians themselves refer to him and talk about him there's a, there's a lot of respect for him which yeah. is great to see yeah now fontaine's dc is there a lot of respect in the irish music scene and among critics for fontaine's dc <laughs> and their third album skinty fia john there's um they've probably had a, a, a fair few critics when they started off when they released doggerel and i think that a lot of those critics have have slowly come around to to appreciating what fontaine's dc stand for i, I just wanted to kind of start off by saying that i listened to the doggerel their debut album a few weeks ago for the first time in a long time. When was the last time you listened to Doggerel? Oh, I, I, I have uh, Fontaine's DC on pretty much a constant ro- rotation around here. Oh, okay, 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 okay. I, I went for a walk a few weeks ago and I, I was like, what will I listen to? I know, I'm going to listen to Doggerel. And it just reminded me how really, really good a debut album it is and how exciting it is to listen to them. And I remember talking to Kelly Ann Byrne about the album soon after its release and she said that it was the first album in a long time that reminded her of that feeling when you're, you know, like when you're a teenager and you discover this band and you fall in love with an album, you fall in love with the band. And I think that's what drew a lot of probably 30 and 40 year olds to the band initially and 50 upwards. But I I think it reminded them of their youth. And I think the majority of people I saw those early Fontaine's DC gigs. And I, I think back then they were called the Fontaine's, uh, I think majority of the audience were were quite were I'm not going to say quite old, but they were an older yeah. audience. Like there was a lot of kind of bald middle aged <laughs> men. <laughs> That'll uh, be us one day, hopefully, John. Down it's coming front. soon. It's coming down soon. But if, if you look down at Skinty Fia, the third album, which is one that's obviously been nominated for the Choice Music Prize, it, it's a million miles away from Doggerel, the debut album. Like Doggerel was kind of based around a, a blueprint of like it was straight from the blues and rock and roll songbook. But you listen to Skinty Fia. And like the band have improved so much in, in, in every sense. Musically, they're better. They're better musicians. They're better songwriters. Green's lyrics have definitely improved as well. And uh, it, it's an album that I'm a big fan of. You, you just mentioned there that you constantly have Fontaine's DC on when you're at home. Well, my Spotify end of year rap informed me on that I was in the top 3% of listeners of the album. <laughs> top 3%? Like, I've never been in the top 3% of anything in my life. <laughs> Congratulations. So, but there, there are so many, thank you. There are so many highlights on the album. You know, take your pick. I Love You, Nabokov, Big Shot, oh, Roman Holiday, such a good song as well. The list goes on and on. But I don't think it's an album without fault. The Couple Across the Way, which is, I think, track seven on the album is is too long, in my opinion. It kind of disrupts the flow of the album. And, and Nabokov. The closing track. Which is the closing track. It, like, it's too big a song to be the closing track. It should have been track three or track four. Oh. That, that really annoys me. 
I know, but it's too big. It's too too yeah, too big a song to to suddenly have it as your your closing song. You know, put it in near the start. What do you think of um, (laughs) what do you think of the one of the there's many themes behind many of the tracks on the album. But I think the overall theme is the fact that they emigrated to London. I think they're all living in London at the moment. They're currently on tour in Australia. But one of the themes of the album is this idea of this kind of Irish underlying hatred, racism, whatever you want to call it, among the English in London. I know that Irish People might have rolled their eyes at that. Um, I certainly saw a lot of that when they were talking about it. I don't live in London, so I, I can't say that um, that it's there. Would you give that much credence? No. No? I mean, I don't think that's a, an important kind of narrative of the album. I think that that was maybe a line or two that I think Green mentioned in an interview. Was it with Steve Lamack, maybe, when he was doing that interview? He said it. Uh, maybe he said it in, in a couple of other interviews it, as well. It, but- it does come up a lot. They do They do mention it. Uh, good bet. Yeah, I, I don't know if if it's just the lads in Fontaine's DC kind of putting a a media spin maybe or trying to gain a little bit of, I don't know, publicity for the album. I'm not sure how, how true it is. Certainly, it hasn't been mentioned a lot since. And yeah, you uh, do. I'm sure the lads are quite happy over in London. You do kind of get the same things being brought up in a lot of the features and the reviews of the album. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but the opening track, which I think is absolutely brilliant, live as well, it's uh, uh, just stunning. In Or Giha Gajo, you're an Irish teacher. Ain't you know what? Yeah, no, run it to Job Mountain. So, if people don't know this story, I'm, I presume most people do. Um, Green, uh, I have it from Rolling Stone here in front of me. Um, he saw this story in the paper about an Irish woman from Coventry, um, Margaret King, who died. And when she died, her family wanted to commemorate her Irish heritage by including those words in Argiha Gajo on her gravestone. The words basically mean in our hearts forever. It's just a heartfelt message, but the Church of England itself ruled that it was at risk of being perceived as a political slogan. So they refused to allow the Irish language to exist on an Irish person's gravestone. Green continues, the shocking part, which I've uh, left to the end of the story for dramatic effect for you, is that this is just two years ago. This wasn't the 70s or anything like that. So they wrote this song in response to it. And I think that that's something that a lot of people have kind of grabbed onto. There is this real genuineness to Fontaine's and to Green as well I think he's really developed as a songwriter as well tracks like Jackie Down the Line and I Love You are just undeniable I think I I Love You is really good as well because it's got this political edge to it but I don't think any of them feel particularly um, driven by politics maybe by the alienation that they might feel by it but uh live as well that song is probably better than the recording but I think this is Fontaine's DC's best album Oh, one hundred percent. Yeah, followed by Doggerel and followed by A Hero's Death, uh, and and it's great to see. Like, there's been this really nice progression as well of of how popular they've become. I mean, it's only a few days ago that they won a Brit Award for Best International Act, and look at that. They weren't even there on the night. Carlos was there on the night, the guitarist in the band, because his um his partner is about to give birth, so he had to kind of postponed the fact that he was going to go on tour with them but the rest of the band are on i think they're in australia at, at the moment and uh which points to their success as well but it was lovely to see them get recognition across the water and you know the the uk market has been pretty good to them yeah i, I have very few bad things that i would say about this album um in fact i can't even think of anything that i dislike about it right now i think uh this and cmat for me are the two favorites you might talk about it overall uh later on john but Will we move on to Just Mustard? Yes, please. And their second album, Heart Under, also released on Partisan Records. Uh, this was a surprise that this was on the shortlist just because they didn't do much press for it and it didn't seem like people were kind of falling over themselves to praise Just Mustard. But it's a really strong album from a really strong band who uh, Fontaine CC have helped along the way as well. They've supported them. I think they took them on tour to the US as well. So they've kind of given them a leg up and it's also one of the things that jump out at you looking at the overall shortlist is just how many guitar albums are on the list you have Fontaine's DC you have Just Mustard you have Pillow Queens and you have Thumper as well I think of those as like the four like guitar albums that are on this shortlist and that's probably where you 
prefer a little bit of variety in the shortlist. Um, that's not to say that I dislike Heart Under by Just Muster, but I kind of find myself struggling to get too excited by it, especially when listening, like like both of us have been, I presume, in the past couple of days and weeks, just listening to this shortlist maybe uh, on a loop. It kind of falls down a little bit uh, for me in that respect. I, similar to you, I found that this album went under the radar when it when it was released i didn't hear too much about it at, at all and that's why i'm surprised that it that it made the shortlist um and again this is another album like anamique's album theater that i'm delighted that the judges put a put a good bit of, of of research into the albums that have been released and and decided to go for just mustard's heart under i mean they had a great year you mentioned the fact that they they signed to partisan records um so they're going in the the right direction and i really i really like this album i've probably only got to know it really well in the last few weeks because i knew we were doing this but they've kind of honed that that shoegaze sound that we heard on their debut album wednesday they've it's like it's it feels almost polished on on this album i probably think that this the songs in this album are a bit more accessible than the songs that were on on wednesday so overall they've become better songwriters and um, the production on this album is really good and there's such a nice kind of melancholic mournful sorrowful feel to the songs like that you, you listen to the songs on and it's almost like you're waiting for something really bad to to happen with katie ball's vocal that it, it's kind of this haunting hypnotic uh vocal that she has it's it's almost like she's someone who's about to kill you savagely <laughs> with a knife but she makes you feel okay about it you know it's a nice juxtaposition but i'm a big big fan of the band uh war paint i don't know if you do you know oh, war yeah. paint yeah I love and them. uh katie ball's vocals always remind me of of, of war paint which i which i really really like as well so yeah I'm a, I'm a big fan of this album i think it's really good and it, it's um it's one that i hope a lot more people get to to listen to because it's been nominated for the choice music prize because as we both said i think it went a little bit under the radar yeah, you're not going to be too far away from a Cure reference when you're reading about uh, Just Mustard as well. But I'm kind of like you. I feel that it's that kind of um, post-punk kind of sound that they, that they go for a little bit more than the goth sound. But Katie Ball told Enemy that she was going through a period of personal struggles and sorrow during the time that the record came together in late 2020. And she also concedes we all lean dark anyway. They definitely do. They definitely do. <laughs> they yeah, definitely do. I, I think her vocals are probably the best thing about this album and are the reason why I would go back to it. That's just mustard. Let's move on to the final guitar album on the list, Pillow Queens, Leave the Light On. It's their second album. Uh, it was also, rec- I think the first album as well was recorded up at Attica Audio Studio, Tommy McLaughlin's studio up in Donegal, which apparently all of my favourite acts uh, <laughs> record at. Um, I, I really like this album. I think that it kind of got some some poor reviews internationally laura snapes reviewed it for pitchfork leave the light on and she said unfortunately you also sometimes get the sense of it with regards to following up a beloved album and that first album was a really beloved album uh that the band reveal a new inclination towards gravitas that smothers some of their fire and she says several songs lose power from excessive run times where are you on leave the light on john do you think that it's kind of a a little bit of um, the debut album, two point No, I don't actually. I think it's it's quite quite different from um, in waiting their their debut album. I'm I'm a big fan of of Pillow Queens and I have been from the very start since I played them on Totally Irish and ninety eight FM a few years ago. I remember seeing them upstairs in Whelan's in I think two thousand and seventeen, and like a lot a lot of people i love their debut album in waiting and i really like the four ladies in the band and i love their philosophy etc etc but with this album leave the light on at times i think i just found it a bit hard to love and i don't know if that's because i was coming at it with big expectations or coming at it hoping to hear new pillow queen songs but with the old pillow queen's formula because I mean, to answer your, your question here, I think this album is, is very different to the to the debut albums in terms of the songwriting, the production, the tone of the album. I think it's, it's a lot more subtle and there's a lot less obvious anthems on it. And you know what? All of that should be applauded. They, they chose to knock on down the easy road of writing 
in waiting part two in my opinion and um, there's lots of highlights on the album such as tracks like no good woman be by your side i really like delivered hearts and minds of course is another great great uh song that's on it but i don't know i don't know i don't know maybe maybe it's a case where i need to go back and listen to it a, f- a few more times and, and try to understand it a bit better what was your what you, you really liked it you said uh i really like it but i can also i i wouldn't disagree if someone said that it is in waiting part two just because i think some of the themes are quite similar there's still that re- uh, religious i can't say the word there's also that religious element um th- that comes up again on the album um but I, I don't think that there is really that subtlety that you mentioned. I think that this is kind of them being bigger. I feel like this is an album where they were like, we need to more songs that sound big live and that fill bigger spaces. Um, and I, I don't think that that's a bad thing. I really like the fact that they seem to be leaning more into Pam Connolly, the singer's like huge uh, vocal vocal because i absolutely love it it's kind of like that dermot kennedy thing of you know you can uh really sing at the top of your lungs alongside and that's how i feel listening to pam i think she's one of the best vocalists in the country i love that she seems to have got a bit more confidence on the album as well which is funny because i talked to them for the irish examiner before the album came out and rachel lyons from the band told me uh that they were very stressed out about recording the second album I really like it, but I can also see people being like, it's a little bit more of the same from Pillow Queens. No, I, I didn't. I Well, I just, I've just said the complete opposite. For me, it didn't sound like they were trying to recreate the debut album at all. I, I, I thought they seemed to be going in a, in a slightly different direction anyway. There you go. That's the beauty of music. You know, we've all got different <laughs> opinions and that's the way it should be. Circa Richardson released her second album, Smiling Like an Idiot, last year. And I think from the very start, it was kind of like um, everybody thought that CMAD and Fontaine's would be duking it out for the uh, choice prize. And I think a lot of people expected Circa Richardson to be up there too. And I can totally see why. I think this is probably the best songwriting on the whole shortlist for me. I think Circa's an unbelievable lyricist writer i got to talk to her for the podcast and people can hear her go through her process and go through track by track this album because that's exactly what i wanted her to do just talk about the scenes that she was creating on this album she's very much uh you know you can imagine her going home and writing in her diary after a night out and um just marking some small thing that happened uh, on a night out and marking it for a future song do you, do you know what i've just re- remembered actually as you're talking there she when she so obviously she lived in in brooklyn for for years didn't she study creative writing over there oh i couldn't tell you i, I don't know what she, she i don't know what she studied over there but that would that would tie in with this this image of you know this uh emerging writer who wants to go home every night and f- write in her diary yeah. and yeah, if you were to make a prediction of who out of this shortlist is going to write a book, maybe Circa Richardson, maybe Green as well. I'd say there's a, there's a few. I'd say Dermot Kennedy could write a, a decent uh, a decent book as well. <laughs> the Mary Wallopers, I'm sure, as well. Who knows? Who knows? That could be for uh, a future awards where we look at musicians turned into fictional writers or something like that. But Circa Richardson was apparently, according to my sources, she was pretty close to winning the choice Music Prize in 2019 <laughs> for her, her debut album, First Prize Bravery. Was was she runner-up? Did you hear the same thing? She was close anyway, let's just say that. Lancome eventually won for The Live Long Day, but I think she, she came pretty close. So I think that her music appeals to a lot of judges. Um, but this year, for example, you might have some judges say they're not a fan of Fontaine's DC's music or their success. <laughs> Or you might have other judges who just don't get CMAT and you kind of think that, well, maybe majority of them will be a fan of Circa and her album Smiling Like an Idiot. So I, I think she's probably definitely one of the, the favorites for this award. During the podcast chat, people can go back and listen to it if you want, but she kind of told me about the difference between the first and second album. She says, the first album to me feels sort of like a collage and kaleidoscope of a lot of different people and places in my life when I was leaving New York. So it was kind of my attempt to capture all of that and get it all down and preserve it in a way. 
This one, smiling like an idiot, is much more focused and streamlined in terms of it mostly being about one relationship. And that happened in conjunction with her moving back to Ireland. Um, so yeah, she says that it's a bit more melodramatic, this album. And you can see it kind of along the lines of a, a concept album as well. The first album was kind of her in her 20s and everything. This is very much about a relationship. And I was interested what people outside of Ireland might have been saying about it because, you know, Irish people are always bigging ourselves up. So I was wondering what um, other reviews the album had gotten. Ims Taylor reviewed it for DIY magazine and she said that there are subtle changes in tone that keep smiling like an idiot from feeling too repetitive and place her learning curve at its core. I guess that that's one of the only things that you'd say about the album. I'd love if um, Circa kind of did a Pam or something and started like screaming her, screaming her lungs off and kind of you know, maybe there was a bit of a change on Smiling Like an Idiot. I think that that's the only thing that I'd like from this album, just a little bit of a curveball from uh, Circa, but I still don't think that that's much of a criticism of this album. I think it's I think it's brilliant from start to finish. Anything yeah. else you want to say about it? No, just to say that, yeah, like you, I'm a big fan of the album. Um, I, I think one of the things I love about Circa's music is that she creates scenes and moments in her songs that feel quite universal and this goes back to what i was saying about the fact that she studied to be a creative <laughs> writer i'm sure that that, that, that has helped that, yeah. her that has helped her and um, but like these kind of moments or scenes that she creates in her in her songs are very relatable quite often you'll find they're reminiscing about a, a relationship or a particular evening in her life or a night in her life and she's very good at kind of creating that time and place and friendship is, is often a, a theme uh, in her in her songs and I think that the closing song on this album which is also called Smiling Like an Idiot is a really good example of those things it's about her finding happiness in Dublin and she's surrounded by people she loves and she's surrounded by you know, like really good friends and I, I think she's described the album as being one where she's made throughout the album she's making these bad decisions but she gets to the the closing point of the album which is smiling like an idiot and she's finally found the answer and the answer is that yeah she should stay in dublin she shouldn't go back to new york this is where her home is this is where her friends are and ultimately she find, finds happiness in finally making that right decision i i think people are are drawn to her her music because of those universal uh, themes which she has in her music but also because of her vocals I love her vocals I love her songwriting and her lyrics obviously which I've just mentioned and yeah there's just something very likable about her and their music and I would not be surprised if she ends up winning this award goes one step further from her debut album and that choice prize nomination we're on the home stretch now uh, the Mary Walpers are up for their debut album the Mary Walpers and I think people have a lot of love and uh happiness when thinking about the merry wallopers everyone loves the merry wallopers yeah because they helped a lot of people get through lockdown if some of the other bands uh that we've mentioned um did that as well and lockdown inspired them the merry wallopers were one of the first bands who did a live stream i think they did it on saint patrick's day which was literally like four days into the lockdown something like that was great fun yeah this album is uh has finally come out and i i guess one of the hallmarks of the choice prize is that is that there usually is a trad album on the shortlist and it's no surprise that the merry wallopers are up for their long-awaited debut album and they've gone from strength to strength i saw them at all together now in the summer and walking into the tent at like six o'clock or something like that and there was people crowd surfing i was like what has happened to the mary wallopers the last time i had seen them they were playing like a like a, a small pub like a little session and now suddenly they're uh humongous and they're selling out all over the uk as well so it's really great to see but what about the album itself john where, where are you on it well th- there's two things i want to say about the mary wallopers and they're similar to what you've just been talking about there firstly they're like for me they're a really important band I mean, they actively search out and source old ballad and old folk songs. A lot of those are near forgotten at this stage and they re-record them for a modern day audience. And I saw them support Junior Brother at the end of, I think it was the end of 2019 in Wales. Wow, they supported Junior Brother. Yeah. Wow. And the place, I'm not joking you, 
the place was rammed for them. Like the place was full. Whelan's was full for the Merry Wallopers, who were, as I said, the support act. But it was full of young people singing along to these old Irish ballad songs. And it was wonderful to see. You talked about people crowd surfing. Well, this was a similar a similar scene. It was a real party atmosphere to the place. It was beautiful to see. And I saw firsthand that night how brilliant they are at what they do and how important they are for bringing these kind of old songs to a, a younger, younger audience, which kind of leads me to point number two, like their infectious life. I would go and see the Mary Wallopers every week if I could. Like if my Friday night tradition wasn't to go down to the pub and get a Chinese on the way home, instead if it was to go and see the Mary Wallopers every Friday, I'd be a happy man. Uh, I, I invited them to play a gig that I was hosting in Teeling Whiskey Distillery in March of 2020. It was only like a few days before the first lockdown. Uh, the tickets sold out more or less straight away after a few days. And again, the atmosphere that night in that little room in, in Teeling Whiskey Distillery was amazing. I mean, there's nothing better than getting lost with a crowd of people roaring out the words of Cod liver oil and the orange yeah. juice. A song that was written by Hamish Imlock in 1966, but which has become one of my favorite songs of the last few years. Mary oh, by the way, if I, if I die tomorrow, if I die tomorrow, please God, it doesn't happen. Will you promise me that at my funeral they'll play Cod Liver Oil and the Orange Juice? <laughs> I mean, think about the atmosphere That's that you, you have That's what you want there. to be buried with. That's how I want to be buried. <laughs> Mary Wallopers <laughs> in the distillery sounds like a, a recipe for disaster <laughs> in a way, wasn't it? <laughs> it was a good night. <laughs> uh, it's not surprising that we're talking about the live atmosphere that we associate with Mary Wallopers because um, Andrew Hendy, one of the two Hendy brothers, uh, Mary Wallopers completed by friend Sean McKenna. Uh, he told me for a feature in the Irish Examiner that we really just wanted to capture the live energy of us playing. And you do hear that even like in a funny way on that last song where I think Charles says to him, that was feckin' terrible, something <laughs> like that. So there's real pathos to this album as well. Pathos, um, you know, they're, they're kind of singing about stuff that you could say that Skinty Fia is about as well. This kind of like Irish blood spilled uh, in Britain, the likes of Building Up and Tearing England Down, which I think was uh, Nyler Nine's favourite song of 2022, favourite Irish song of 2022. Yeah, there's John O'Halloran, just a really, really great ballad about immigration. And so while the songs that they're singing are all old i don't uh i don't know if there's any originals on this album i think that they're doing some originals for the second album while they're not new songs in any way they do imbue them with new feeling and i think that that's why mary wallopers have made such a connection with particularly the youth of ireland and it's really really great to see but will we move on to our last album of the shortlist it's which is thumper Thumper, Delusions of Grandeur, long-awaited debut album. I'm presuming that you talked to these guys maybe 10 years ago as well, maybe the week after you talked to Dermot Kennedy. <laughs> well, I don't know if they've been around uh, as long as, as, as Dermot Kennedy has, but um, yeah, I, I, I mean, I don't know when I first interviewed him, but it was, it was a few years ago. And they're like, they're, I think you'd probably agree with this. They're one of the best live bands around. They're uh, unbelievable they're, live. Yeah, and they're, they're very, very memorable. They're They've kind of made their name, haven't they, as, as being a really great live band who release every so often amazing single after amazing single. That's how I would describe Thumper previous to this album coming out. I mean, I love every one of their singles. They're always fun to listen back to from your, your bringing me down to In My Room. I love In My Room. It's one of my favorite songs to Ad Nauseam and Toe for Grace and so on and so on. And I guess the tricky thing for them and the team around them was how to replicate that that live sound. I mean, you go and see Thumper and there's just this kind of guitar wall of sound. It's, it's, yeah. in, their, it's in their DNA. So, you know, how to replicate that over 10 songs while maintaining the listener's attention. And I, I think on this album, they've managed to do it for, for some of the album. I think on the fifth track, they, they slow things down uh, a little bit before the loser kind of brings you right back and slaps you in the face. But I, I'd say probably... My main criticism of this album is that some of the songs feel a bit too maybe long and, and drawn oh. out. And for whatever reason, I was very conscious of this while I was listening to the, to the album uh, when it was initially released. And it, it probably 
lessened my enjoyment of the songs that are on it. I mean, opening track, Fear of Art, is, is over six minutes long. The song 25 is nearly eight minutes long. Toe for Grace is over seven minutes long. Down in Heaven, the closing track, is over eight minutes long. And that's out of uh, out of 10 songs in total. And I think that's sometimes an element of less is more, or at least a mixture of less is more is uh, is probably more to my taste. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, I, I really love long songs and seeing how they develop um, over their running time. But um, Andrea Cleary makes the same point as you. She reviewed the album for the Irish Times and uh, she said, yeah, those first three songs alone span over 19 minutes for no discernible reason. Um, she says that with six years of material to work with, it's no wonder this debut album is stuffed with ideas. Um, Ed Power reviewed the album for the Irish Examiner and he maybe takes a different tact. He says this is a record that kicks down the door, leaves mud all over your hall and then snatches from your hand the toast that you've just buttered. Um, I, th I think uh, I think that this album is really, really good. It's certainly the loudest on the uh, shortlist. You have to almost play it at 11. Um, uh, but I think there is really good songwriting there. And I talked to Oshin for the podcast and he did say that they are trying to write three and a half minute pop songs for the second album. So you and Andrea will be uh, happy to hear that. But I love seeing the way some of these tracks, like I guess 25 in particular, develop. But then also there is a bit of a change for that last song, that eight minute long Down in Heaven, which I think is some way to finish a record because it, it starts with how maybe the band started initially. It started almost out of Oshin's writer's block that he had 10 years ago when he was a, a gigging musician around Dublin. And um, there's it's just him and uh, a guitar for the first three or four minutes of Down in Heaven before the full band, including two drummers, comes into it. And it just really ends leaving leaving you wanting more to use a, a tired cliche but uh yeah I, I was surprised to see this album on the shortlist um not that I don't think it's deserving of its place there just because I feel like maybe it didn't almost get as much um attention as it could have but I mean overall what a strong shortlist John and I think it's great that Thumper are there I fully agree oh no I'm delighted for Thumper to be to be on the on the shortlist and and to get the recognition that they deserve um but what, yeah what a strong shortlist just to kind of wrap it all up because we've just gone through each of the 10 albums and there isn't there isn't any of the albums where we've been overly critical and we're being as honest as as we can be you know there isn't any album that i listened to over the last few weeks in preparation for this where i was like oh my god this is this is tough to to get through and um, i even like appreciated listening to to Dermot Kennedy's album. It's not the style of music that I would I would often go to. Um, in fact, that might be the first pop album that I've listened to in twenty years. But I, <laughs> I enjoyed it. I enjoyed his 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 songwriting and his voice. So it's a it's a really strong shortlist. And I don't know. And normally, most years, because I know you're going to ask me this in a second, who's going to win? Most years, I've I've got a fair idea of of who's going to win. Whether it's for those I love, or Lancome, or um, Ships. I, I didn't get the O Emperor one. There's no way I would have guessed that. But normally you've, you've got a fair idea. And this year, I honestly think there's there's three or four who are like strong, strong favourites. What do you think? Well, well just so people know, in, in case they don't, the way, the, the way that it works is that albums are kind of eliminated over the course of the 10 judges discussing them on the night. They're not going to be at Vicar Street. They're going to be in a separate room away from Vicar Street, narrowing down the shortlist. So if you're cutting this shortlist down what are those albums that you expect uh to be in the final reckoning i think it'll be cma like i, I just can't see past cmat and fontaine cc but i think that that just might be because i've almost talked myself into it um in that i'd be shocked if it isn't one of those two who, who are the other acts that you see you know it's interesting when it gets to, to that part of the discussion because i was a judge at the northern ireland music prize back in november and we were asked as judges to give our favorite album out of the 10 that had been shortlisted. And immediately, within minutes, we were down to two albums out of the 10. So the two strong albums that, that stood out uh, made it through to the, to the final shortlist, if you like. But I, I don't see that happening with this particular shortlist because I don't think either somebody's going to go for Fontaine's or going to go for Seamat. So I think a lot of people go for, to answer your question, uh, I think a lot of people, a lot of the judges will go for 
for Fontaine's DC. Some will go for CMAD. I think some will go for Circa Richardson. And possibly after that, I don't know. Will they go for Dermot Kennedy? I don't know. Just Mustard. Like some some of the judges voted for Just Mustard and Thumper and Pillow Queens and, and Fontaine's DC. So there's obviously a lot of guitar-loving music fans on the, on this list of, of uh, or on this panel of judges. So I think there might be a few different albums that make up that uh, final, final shortlist. And then who wins after that is down to one or two judges being really strong and persuasive in their in their closing statements about each, or closing statements about which album that they love. Yeah, uh, last year when For Those I Love won, um, it did literally come down to one vote, didn't it? Uh, yeah yeah it was between that and one other album on the shortlist um do we need to pick a winner john yeah of course we do that's the whole point that's what people have been listening to, it, to us for over I an th- hour i thought that i'd get away with this one um you mentioned people listening to this podcast for over an hour and then for us to go well we don't know who's gonna win see you next year <laughs> come on uh look i've been in your say- heart who's gonna win i've been saying it for pretty much the bones of a year i think Seema, if my wife knew i'd be dead it would be a worthy and deserved winner of the choice prize so as much as i love fontaine zc and skinty fia um i'll i'll put my vote in for Seema, the start of an amazing career okay i'm gonna go for circa richardson oh, poor fontaines are gonna be disappointed again wow, Smi- smiling. well fontaines can win a, a Brit award, but they can't win the Choice <laughs> Music Prize. No, I think Circa Richardson will be the, the judge's favorite overall. I think the majority of judges will go for her and her album, Smiling Like an Idiot. You heard it here first. Yeah, like I said, I think it's probably the best songwriting on the whole shortlist, so uh, I wouldn't be angry at all if, uh, if that wins. But as people can probably tell from the last hour or so, we really enjoyed all of these albums. Usually there is something where where we might be like, oh, what is this doing on the shortlist? But it's not really like that uh, at all. Um, uh, really good, really good shortlist. I think it'll be a really good list again uh, next year. But it's always a great night, the Choice Music Prize. And this is always a great conversation, John. So yeah. I appreciate Thank you. you uh, appreciate you uh, coming and doing it. And just, yeah, we'll we'll talk about Fontaine's DC again soon and, and the other acts on the list. Anything else you want to say before we uh, say goodbye? No, I'm, I'm looking forward to the, to the night itself. It's one of my favorite nights of the year. You get to meet lots of cool people within the industry. You get to see some of the nominated acts performing live on the night. And it's just a general all-around good feel to the night. Um, and I'm sure you'll be there. I'm not going to do tequila with you again this year if you don't mind (laughs) when do we do tequila (laughs) we better end the podcast there (laughs) (laughs) thanks a lot john thanks on 